Come with me and let's build the future together. What do you think when I say workspace? Cubicles, ugly furniture, bad fluorescent lighting, death. Exactly. I'm Travis Kalanick, and I will never back down from a fight. And if no one wants to believe in me, I'll make them believe by being undeniable. You know you're on your way up, and they slap a target on your back. We're deceiving the most powerful tech company in the world. We are disruptors, because that is what revolution requires. What if you could test your blood in your own home? And what if it wasn't a whole vial, but just a drop? I'm going to drop out to Stanford. This machine is going to change the world. Hey everybody, it's Dead Cat. Tom here, joined by Katie and Eric. Got a very special episode for you guys today. We've been waiting to do this for a long time, uh, but we are in the midst of a golden age of television shows about tech companies. It's a bubble upon a bubble upon a bubble has, <laughs> has resulted in, in what we are going to talk about today. Because first we have the bubble of books about tech company implosions. And then we had the bubble of podcasts about books about tech company implosions. And then we have the streaming shows about the podcasts that are sometimes based on the books about tech company implosions. It's turtles all the way down here. But who better to talk about this than people who have written about these companies, have watched all the fucking shows. <laughs> I've, I've been sitting in my room. It's a bright, sunny day. The birds are chirping. I had the blinds pulled down and I'm just like binge watching uh <laughs> we crashed and uh the dropout the theranos show uh yes so a lot of tv has been consumed for my job recently yeah over a short period of time yeah i i was watching last night then i got too tired and i went to bed and then i woke up and watched two more sitting in bed and then i watched another i finished the episode that i'd watched on tv in the morning so i am i'm saturated in this shit but so we've got three shows here, right? We have uh, Super Pumped, which is the Uber show, which we've talked about uh, up before on Dead Cat uh, when Mike came on. We've got We Crashed, which is the We Work show. And we've got The Dropout, which is the Theranos show. Are they tech shows or are they fraud shows, right? I haven't seen Inventing Anna, but I do think there's an argument that like the soul, at least of like The Dropout and We Crashed, is more about like fraudsters. They're almost like following the fire festival spirit, the huckster spirit, and seem to sort of jump to my take, seem like good post-Trumpian dealing with that whole era of stories about like fraudsters in yeah. a way that they're more about that to me than the tech industry. And to some degree, the Uber show to me struggles because it's, it's too much about tech. Yeah, I agree. Like these shows mm -hmm. are at their best when they embrace not just like the characters at the center of it, but when they are about the the fraud, basically the deception, because that's something everyone can relate to, you know, like discussing, you know, road shows for funding rounds is not interesting to most people. It's barely interesting to us. But when it's about, you know, deception and it's why I think, you know, Theranos remains absent of these shows, but Theranos remains the best story of all of them because it's the clearest con, right? It's like this was someone who misled investors, claimed that a product did things that it couldn't do and directly affected people's lives. I know we need to talk about TV, but when we were writing those stories seven years ago, <laughs> or yeah. whatever it is now, yeah. weren't to some extent we writing about fraud? I mean, that, that was the narrative tension of those reported stories as well. To some degree, it was like, we've been giving you stories about funding rounds. We've been giving you stories about pretty dry Silicon Valley jargon. But here's a story that we're putting on the front page because it's about fraud. Right. Totally. Yeah. And the fact, yeah, and the fact that it got to the front page of like the New York Times was because it had a, a larger appeal. I mean, Theranos, the Times covered the trial, you know, minute by minute. Though, though we should say at the outset here, Adam Newman, there's no, like, there's criminality, you know, Elizabeth Holmes has been convicted of something. Right. It's Whereas the most clear consequence. Travis Kalanick and Adam Newman just were pushed out of their jobs. They, in some, in Newman's case, got a lot of money for leaving his job. You know, they haven't been 
charged with anything. So fraud is maybe a dangerous word to use. They're tied up in hype and, you know, whatever, but we should be careful. Uh, I mean, there is a truth that, that Elizabeth Holmes sort of has really done something of a different type or sort than I think. Well, I guess, yeah, when we were writing, when we were reporting the stories, part of the thing that was being explored is what is the fine line if, or to the extent that it is fine between uh, behavior that's going to get you in trouble with the law and behavior that is going, that is somehow immoral or wrong. And both of those questions are very human stories, which is why they were able to have such broad, broad interest. Right. And they also, I think, you know, beyond just the fact that these were all venture capital funded companies, well, eh, arguable with Theranos, but, um, you know, tech stories, the thing that ties them all together is that these were, you know, people at the center of it who sort of let things spiral out of control one one way or another, right? It's like this very American story. It's like every Coen Brothers movie. It's like one one deception, one lie, one thing kind of escapes their grasp and then suddenly it all sort of tumbles into chaos. It's Icarus. I want to start with WeWork, or We Crashed, um, because it was the one that I initially, when I was texting you guys, had said that it was my least favorite of of the three. And um, really? I'd, only, I'd, only, I'd only seen uh, half of it. I've now seen more of the show. I think it may be my favorite. It's my favorite mm. by far. I think it may be my favorite I... of the three. And I was not expecting that. I watched the Uber one first. Then I, I saw the Theranos one. I was like, oh, this is way better than the Uber one. And now I love the Theranos show. The Theranos show is good. She's Amanda Seyfried. Oh, fuck. Seyfried. I, I was just Seyfried. I was looking up before this show. Amanda Seyfried <laughs> is really good. I mean, she feels like Elizabeth Holmes almost more than any. I think she's the, she's very good at authentic. But but honestly, Anne Hathaway is just so compelling as uh, Rebecca Newman that I feel like that makes... Their love, I was literally in tears, honestly, in the first episode about it. Because, like, their their love story is so good. Like, these two Oh, tragically? Stars. Oh, I thought you meant laughing. I mean... No, cause, cause, well, <laughs> it is funny. But I do think there's, right. like... Just, like, the idea <laughs> that their love is so strong that they can sort of trick the world. Like, it's like, right. we love each other so much that you're going to, like, tell any... But we can bend the universe. I feel like it's a very powerful, like, idea. Let's, let, Let's well, get that to has that. kind of like a House of Cards vibe, right? Sure. Like that was the that was like the engine of that That's true. melodrama. That's true. About. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, 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 they clearly centered it all around their love story. But just like as a quick recap to any of our listeners who have not followed the WeWork story, which I will admit, of the three, as it was playing out, WeWork is the one that I followed the least. It was the one I was the least interested hmm. in. Ironically, I think it had the given least, it had the least, I think attention of the three. Pro- I think because I'd met Adam Newman and the meeting was so bizarre. Oh, I want to hear about that. That's the only one I haven't in. met. That's, yeah, you got a... It was you one met of the Elizabeth Holmes? Things. I I I played bocce ball with her. I, I thought I've said this before. <laughs> Wait, was it during deep voice or pre-deep voice? It was post the whole scandal. It was like she was oh still like... <laughs> she was running out of the courtroom. She's like, I got a hot bocce ball date. <laughs> It was somebody's like birthday party in San Francisco. And, you know, I was a terrible reporter. It was just sort of like, oh, it's a birthday party. I don't want to ruin her. Like, we're just going to play that lady with a deep voice? I I mean, I knew who it was, obviously. (laughs) Everybody knew, like... Excuse me, excuse me. Is this is this your bocce ball? I don't want to lose the thread with WeWork, but it was it was the one that I followed the least. I have not met Adam Newman, although ironically, he's the one I'm most closely, maybe even actually related to. <laughs> but it's possible. That's what I'm saying. Are you just saying you're all members of the tribe? Yeah, I think it's possible. There's not that many Israelis. I have a lot of cousins that are Adam Newman esque. Let's put it like that. You were he was Adam Newman was born in Israel. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, you, served you in the Israeli were born military. In the States. I was born in the US, but my parents were both in Israel. My uh, my older brother was born in Israel. I have most of my family out there. I, I recognize the Adam Newman type distinctly. But it's the story of of WeWork, which is a co-working company that um was started in New York by Adam Newman and it raised billions of dollars, most famously by SoftBank, uh, which pumped in, I think, over $10 billion as you know, the whole thing played out. Um, and he had this very kind of codependent relationship with the CEO of SoftBank, Masayoshi Son, which obviously ended explosively. But the company's sort of demise, as it were, was that Adam Newman 
wildly inflated projections. They had this IPO that had a hysterical S1 that everyone was like, this is insane. Well, everybody, we all love to talk about community adjusted EBITDA. Right. You're right. Yes. And, and do, he, do we all love that? And they had, I mean, uh, Elliot and um, elevating the world's consciousness was one of their like core objectives. As, Marine as Farrell. I mean, their book really did a good job of. Uh, yeah. And they should have Elliot on at financial because he's metrics. Yes. But anyway, so the show centers on, you know, the, the rise and fall of Adam Newman. Uh, by fall, we should also add the fact that he is currently a billionaire. He got away with it. I mean, he, yeah. I mean, and Travis, really Travis, you know, they both made time. They succeeded in this. Travis is way. complicated. But anyway, so I, I started watching that show and, and then I went to sleep and then I ended up, saw that it was still on the TV and I finished the episode and like, it is my favorite of the three for two reasons, I think. One, it looks the best. Like it has the best overall like cinematic look to it. It feels like a movie. Which maybe it does, yeah. Which maybe it probably should have been, you know. We may, the first episode is like a full hour. The others are fifty minutes. I mean, it is right. like movie, right? Basic. But it has like kind of a cinematic scope to it. It's really like the production qualities are the best of the three of them. And Anne Hathaway is the best actress of any of the actors in in the productions. She, yeah, she she is. She really knows that character very well. <laughs> Very well. I mean, she may have met her because keep in mind, the actual person was was part of all of these Hollywood sort of like investment crossovers. Hobbit well, they brought a lot of Gwyneth celebrities. Paltrow like 50 times in the show. Who's, <laughs> yeah. you know, she is to- Gwyneth Paltrow's cousin. She also, by the way, I didn't know this about Rebecca, but she also has kind of a low voice. I don't know what's going on with that. Both, both these she stories and- are really bad for low voiced women. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, it's really put upon low voiced women. I think mm. authentically low voiced women should should feel proud. But Katie, do you, do you practice your voice in the mirror often? Or yeah. you're... I'm actually going for something a little bit higher these days. <laughs> Just you don't want con artist low, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. But we we work is is the it's the most to me just a pure comedy. Like it, it embraces the fact that like at its core, Adam Newman and his wife are clowns. They are clowns here for our entertainment because ultimately I don't believe there is a moral to the WeWork story. There are no real victims to it. I remember talking to Elliot about this and like his line about what, you know, what is the lesson to be learned? Like who's the victim of WeWork? And his line was like the truth that, you know, the truth was the victim of the whole thing. And it's like, eh, I don't know. The truth's kind of already dead. <laughs> I don't, I, I think we're well past the I, point well, where. I, I agree with him. I also, there are a bunch of people who thought they were going to be very rich who are not and probably could have made a lot more money at other companies. It is a very white collar, like, you know, he screwed over a bunch of people who thought their It's like rich person tragedy. Value. Yeah. Right. Right. And and look, WeWork is a thing. I work out of a WeWork. It's still around. I was checking up its market cap today. It is a $5 billion company, which is not $47 billion. So clearly- and I, I do think, like, Adam Newman's hucksterist tendencies were- Good. Like the idea in the beginning, like the idea that he can sell you that this space is not like a normal office. Let's rethink what an office is like. Let's really change the spirit of it. Like let's inspire people. I mean, people wanted that. That was, that was, it was good while it was still functioning as a profitable business, which it did for a period of time. I think that's what makes all these stories sort of compelling is, and what gives it sort of a tragic underpinning is it's always a good idea in the beginning. The stories would not work if the idea were just incredibly stupid in the beginning, like so many other Silicon Valley startups, but right. the, the idea has to be good. Though, right. though Uber and WeWork had products that weren't just like, oh, the intuition is good. Like there are lots of cases where people have intuitions that people have had forever and you can get people to like but, sort of want to get on board. That to me is the Theranos one. Uber and WeWork, they had, you know, the black car service were, I mean, Uber still is a thriving business. I think it's funny, by the way, that the WeWork show begins with a title card saying based on actual events, because it does sort of seem so fanciful that like these characters exist, that you would wonder if they were pure Hollywood. Well, the show literally starts sort of towards the end of the arc with Adam Newman having an assistant come in and give him a bong rip before going to a board meeting where they're trying to force him out. This is the beginning, so I'm not really spoiling anything. And then we cut back to sort of the early days 
of Adam Newman. Uh, the, the morning bong rip, by the way, is just an Israeli like ablution. That's just something we do every morning to <laughs> wake up. So it's it's actually I, I I prefer that not be brought up in a cultural context in the show. He also, um, I believe, so did love actually- Katy Perry. This sort of somewhat make this resonates given my my meeting with Adam Newman that went so so sideways in so many different ways. <laughs> I had a meeting with Adam Newman that went almost as hilariously terribly as as any meeting I've I've ever had. Tr- <laughs> truly, it was in 2017. First of all, Adam showed up 45 minutes late to the meeting. As he does on his date in the show. So he got there for about the last 10 minutes of it, which I was fine with. It was really just to get to know him. And these things happen. It's totally great. But he came in, you know, there was not really an apology. I'd been sitting with his PR person at that point for a long time. We really got to know one another. But what he the what he first did is summoned one of a rotating cast um, of assistants who came in and he demanded uh, a, a very specific cappuccino order <laughs> with some other accoutrement. He insisted on getting me some sort of coffee, which I was totally, it was neither here nor there. I did not care. Uh-huh. And then he sort of launches into a spiel about how to best to value the company. Cause I'd come in with a list of questions cause I was, I didn't understand the valuation of the company. I had covered commercial real estate in the past. So the numbers didn't make a lot of sense. So he's giving me this spiel and the assistants are coming in. <laughs> the first one brings in a regular coffee, which is absolutely not correct. Another assistant has to come in to deal with the incompetence of the first assistant. There is a terrified looking person who comes in eventually with what looks perhaps like the correct coffee drink. But at this point, like he's just, he's very, he's very dissatisfied. I'll he's put it irritated. that way. He seems very dissatisfied. And then finally somebody breaks in. I believe a fourth assistant at this point to say that he is late and he needs to get into his town car that's waiting for him to drive him from San Francisco down to the valley, which with traffic is definitely 45 minutes to meet with Google. Uh (laughs) And then he, a meeting he's running late to, and then he looks at me very pointedly. And while he stares at me, says to assistant number four, Google can wait. I am (laughs) doing something far more important right now. I can't say with a straight face. Which is funny given- And I was like, no, no, like Google is, is, cannot wait actually. (laughs) They're about to, I think, give you, give you money. And I believe that that is why you are meeting with them. So you should get in your car. I mean, that was like- Was that the end of the meeting? So the idea of an assistant at that point coming in and handing him a bong would have made complete sense. It would have been absolutely perfect in keeping with Every other part of the meeting, including but was it the like right bong? The was it like, no, 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 this is like, sativa. Just, I asked for discarded indica. cups of coffee on the table because none of them were right. I mean, I love that Adam Newman's he was so perfect. Is not, so, anyway, continue. Not yeah. only oriented around all his needs, but incompetently so. <laughs> you know, it's like we, we can't even get him the right coffee that he wants. You know, I don't know. Yeah, um, he, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing. As the show develops, we'll see how it goes. But it's like, is this about just pure enrichment? Uh, is he just trying to develop a lifestyle or like a company that can support the lifestyle that he wants to have? Or does he really think that he's building a company of, you know, substance that will last forever that is going to make the world, you know, elevate the world's consciousness or something? I mean, I guess that's the tension at the core of all of these companies, right? Is it just like, are they creating a service that will make the world a better place? Or is it just, you know, a way for them to get rich? Uh, with Adam, it seems mostly the latter. It has to be. I mean, he's well, he a serial entrepreneur. And so in that yeah. way, he succeeded. I mean, you know, he got the billion. Right. Um, right. The, I, I have in my notes, and I, I, I do think sort of a broad point across these three shows is that Travis ends up, Travis Kalanick ends up coming off the worst, even though he is the best entrepreneur of the three. You know what I mean? I feel like he comes off as the least redeemed in a way because he's like, he's this ruthless, hyper competent person. And the way that the other two are like, people like being like fraudsters are charming. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I think there is something to say about that. We are getting sort of suckered too. You know what I mean? Like they, it's like, the guy who is, I mean, there are a lot of bad things about Travis and his 
his competence allowed him to commit perhaps bigger sins. Well, no, Theranos is the biggest sin, but like allowed him to sort of do a lot of things that people objected to. But I do think the emotional, like, yeah, I, I'm rooting for Adam Newman at the moment. I'm rooting right. sort of for Elizabeth Holmes. I'm definitely not rooting for, uh, you know, Travis in Super Pumped. Yeah, I think what the WeWork show gets really right. Just I, again, I haven't met Adam like like Katie has. Um, and I have personal issues with Israelis being um, successful that particular way. But like you understand how it works for him. Like he is genuinely charming. The show clearly rides on that for a while. And Jared Leto's performance is pretty good as far as that goes. He's definitely very compelling to watch. He's not 6'5", like Adam Newman is, uh, which it's funny. There were like competing projects uh, uh, for the WeWork story. And one of them was going to have Cousin Greg from Succession playing Adam Newman, which like height-wise is, is accurate. Well, it seems like, yeah, a common theme, but at least between Super Pumped and... We crashed is the failure to cast tall characters. Tall because, actors. because Bill Gurley, I mean, Mike gets made fun of by people who've read his great book, but he talks about Bill Gurley's height like a bazillion times in the right. book. And and then, you know, a show that tries to really cover the entire ground of the book, cast Kyle Chandler, who and they don't even try to pretend like he's tall or anything. Right, right, right. And they don't they don't really, you know, with WeWork and, and Adam Newman. Um, but, yeah, I guess just to finish off w- with the show, um, it, it has the most forward momentum in a way that I'm excited about, like, as I'm watching it. Like, I really want to see where this thing goes, even though I know where it goes. I, I am wrapped up in uh, Anna Hathaway for sure. This is a like love her- story. It's a good love story. Right. Right. And they're still together. So, you know, it's not like this becomes like, you know, a star is born or something where, you know, they, their, their, their relationship falls apart as, you know, she is the upper like hand. You laugh. The like you I, I feel like it's a fun one. Like mm-hmm. the other two aren't as they're, fun. They're grim as hell. I mean, right. the Uber show we'll get to in a second. Like that thing is just like a constant, like, just like grind of, of, you know, watching these people go into meetings and argue about products and deception, whatever. Um, no, this I worry we're going like, to come off too negative about Super Pumped. I, I actually have liked it better as it's gone along. Yeah. It's interesting to see uh, some you know connected universes between the shows. Benchmark was an investor in WeWork uh, as well as Uber. Uh, Anthony Edwards from uh, from ER plays the Benchmark partner. It's actually kind of funny in all three of these shows. There's a lot of like late '90s, early 2000s TV actors who I haven't thought about in a long time. Saeed from Lost play Sonny Balwani in the oh, Theranos wow. show. I, I didn't put that together. That's right. He's, he which, does a good job. I think. Which I actually think that's bad casting because oh, he's, huh. well, just because like, I think Sonny Balwani is just a straight up slime ball. Uh, I mean, that's coming out in full during the trial right now that he was like a really, I mean, that's like a real slickster. Business I feel like type. he seems pretty, I mean, if anything, my takeaway from his character in the show is that he's pretty one dimensional. He's just like, he's the sort of, Bad but guy. I just like, like Naveen Andrews, that actor who plays, you know, <laughs> Iraqi military person who was also stranded on the island and lost. There's just like a general core of goodness to him. Like he's just like there's a humanity to him that I just don't I never really saw in Sonny Balwani in terms of other actors that have popped up. I mean, you know, we had what uh, uh, Ginsburg from Mad Men. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As as Larry Page. This is a pretty hysterical cameo uh, in the in Super Pumps. And then. Uh, shit, I should have written it down. No, it's um, okay. Anyway. But yeah, anyway, so so that, that's really all I have to say about We Crash. It's the one I'm the most excited to go back and watch the rest of, for sure. My, my sneaking suspicion, though, is it probably should have just been a movie. It probably should have just been like a two-hour movie and would have you been have like no a nice... You have no business instincts. I, feel, uh, like... <laughs> <laughs> I, say, I think that's the problem with so many of these shows, not just the ones that are made about tech podcasts that were based on books that were based on newspaper articles, but also just that in general, the streaming wars mean that we're seeing a lot of things that could have been told in two hours being stretched out to like an interminable 10. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it, it's economical. I like it's, it's economically driven that they've made it, these all serious. I mean, this um, is such, but it takes so, so much work to convince. I'm just arguing for television, but like it takes so much work to convince people to get to know a new character. Once you have them on the hook, 
you've done most of the job and then they want to keep watching. I mean, TV is great. People love it. It's just it. if you have like, the content. I understand why yeah, TV is great. The character I'm has to do more than – the character has to do a lot of stuff, though, to sustain 10 episodes, not do kind of like one thing stretched out over 10 episodes. The WeWork story is also so simple. You know, it's 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 really like a, <laughs> a three-act story. Is it really be, simple, though, Tom? Fair, because so it sounds maybe. like the WeWork story is a story of one of your cousins – Who's yeah. getting high and hanging out with Gwyneth Paltrow? It's already very complicated. Listen, for you. I, I have cousins in their forties that still live on quasi kibbutzim in, in in Israel. I I know this type so well. Uh, by the way, if you enjoy the we work we uh, uh you know the we crash story and you want to know more about uh, swindling Israelis, I do recommend the Tinder Swindler. Uh, which we can do a spinoff podcast about. I have a lot to say about that documentary on Netflix, but uh, we got two more shows to get through, so I think we should uh, <laughs> we should move on to them. Well, can we talk about Super Pump next? Or uh, sure, yeah, sure. I mean, Super Pumped is the weirdest one for I think at least for me to talk about because I really i I know Mike better than the people who wrote the other the material that supports the podcasts that support the other shows. Yeah. By the way, the actor that played uh, Mike Isaac was excellent. Yeah, I was going to say, Mike first of all, the- <laughs> not everybody's watched these shows. I- <laughs> but it's, but it's, uh, but it's a little bit weird because okay, look, when I was I think in high school, the movie of Mice and Men came out, and I loved the book, and I watched the movie, and I thought to myself, the problem with this movie is that it adheres so closely to the book that it almost makes it hard to be a good movie. It would be like if The Godfather adhered completely with complete fidelity to the Mario Puzo book. It would not be a very <laughs> good movie. And so like there's there were moments in the show where I was like, wow, I really like this very explanatory part of Mike's book and feel that he did an elegant job breaking down something complicated in a paragraph. But I don't know if that's good TV. Well, can I actually... I, I, I'm not I wondering, a- Katie, I'm not, I'm not wondering, Katie, if the uh, ending of Super Pumped is the same as of Mice and Men. And, and Bill, and Bill Gurley kind of leans over to Travis and says, the camera pulls away. That would I'm, be a great ending. I'm going to be a terrible millennial and Katie is going to murder you me. You never read of Mice and Men? No, no, no. I've read of Mice and Men. But, um, I think I've you seen don't the know who John No, 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 no. I just, I, I think you're sort of. The, I'm going to talk about Harry Potter, what every millennial uh, ah, inevitably no, does. I, I read all those goddamn books because of you, Eric. You like your them. Fucking but you read them too late, Katie. Now you shouldn't have read them. She's a no, turd. I made it all that. the way through let, to like age that. 40 without reading those books. And suddenly I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what happens next with the owl? But Continue. Okay. I, I love in Harry Headway. Potter – seven part one where like harry and hermione are dancing and they have this you know, nice the book is just moment. one book you're talking about the movies now that is a moment where where the characters are actually able to sort of be expressive even though it's not true to the book and it makes you feel something so i'm totally as a book loyalist i was fine with that scene because i thought it worked in the movie and so i don't have a problem when they change things from the books to make you feel the authentic themes of the books. Like that's what you want. I'd rather you make a change so you can feel the themes, even if factually it doesn't line up. But what always drove me crazy in the Harry Potters is like a, a diehard was that whenever Harry was killing, was destroying the Horcruxes in the books, Voldemort can't feel it at all because he's, he's so disconnected from his soul. But in the movies, they because they want to like show something they have like Voldemort like get weaker and weaker every time they kill his soul so that always drove me crazy and I feel like similarly in Super Pumped they want to make are Travis's girlfriends like the Horcruxes no (laughs) I they want to make Bill Gurley sort of over they need to show over time Bill Gurley resisting um Travis because they think it makes a better show. But authentically, a key part of the book, the Uber story and everything, is that Gurley doesn't really doesn't. turn on Travis until 2017. The key thing of the whole saga is that if you don't have voting control on the board, you're either all in or all out. You enable these founders until you decide enough, then we really have to kill them and get a headshot. But it's not an incremental thing. You got to stay close to the company work with him. And then when you say like, oh my God, we can't do it anymore. Then you go all out war. Whereas the show makes it seem like all right. along Gurley was like, oh, I'm an annoying. I'm going to try and stop Travis. No, it was like, we're going to enable him all along the way. And then we're going to kill him. 
you know, that's so the real that's story. That's like the yeah, and so that's interesting because you're right. They they create these very strange um, devices to show Gurley's struggle, including the character of Gurley's wife, who <laughs> has I I don't quite understand as a as a narrative device. Though the best part of Gurley's wife is when he's like, because they're trying to create real stakes for this um, person who's already worth like, you know. A billion. I think Bill Gurley is a billionaire, right? Well, now, right. right. Well, now, 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 but like, no, no, no. he was a right. hundred so million to, or a ten yeah, million before. He's a centimillionaire. They're trying to create stakes for him. And he's like, honey, this could be the one that gets us out of this hard knocks life. I know, and I know. The, and they're and in the their Gurley's giant like open concept like, kitchen. <laughs> and the Gurley's wife character is like, I think we're doing okay. Actually, yeah. like it was just so. Strange. Honey, maybe we don't need four houses. Maybe just the three we have will be okay. It's like very yeah. tough. Very the, the, tough. Yeah, I th- they clearly made a decision as they were making this show. Was they were like, well, who's the heart of the story? Oh, that's Bill Gurley. And like, l- listen, we love Mike. And uh, they were just trying to make him into Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights, right? Which is right. why Bill the Gurley is like character exists. A stock analyst, right? You yeah, know, he's right. not Coach Taylor. <laughs> he's a smart like, guy. He's a he has a southern accent, but beside you know, like yeah, like any person who can get beyond a southern accent and realize people with southern accents can be smart. <laughs> <laughs> like Bill Gurley's smart, you know, like he, he's like the kind but of guy really, who theorizes what he predicted that the Uber, st- he was looking for t- different ride sharing companies. He was pursuing a thesis. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean, it starts I really off. I feel like the whole, like, that's the thing they were, it's, it almost feels like a couple of different pre-existing successful television shows sort of pushed into one. They're like, we're going to take a little bit lights and then we're going to take like a little bit of billions right and we'll take, right you know, just kind of put them together yeah, because he's with playing little... the coach yeah that's totally right they are trying to make him play sort of the friday night lights which is why they make bill Gurley's wife basically the friday night lights oh that's interesting wife too yeah you know, it's like she's it's just, just saying the same yeah it's just connie Britton. she doesn't have like giant glasses of wine instead of that she's like making salads constantly but <laughs> Because it's California, and in California, you eat a lot of salad. Right. Yeah, they did get that right. But um, no, and, you know, they they set up a similar thing with with Travis and his mom, which, you know, as we know, does end fairly tragically. So, so, you know, the the show is, you know, that's something that's a little bit more defendable, even if those scenes are also very perplexing. But I was taking notes during the Uber show because watching it, you know, because I cover the company and watching it in that sense feels like homework to me. Um, But... You know, like in one sense, we have to get past the. First, oh, sorry. Before we get into that, why is Quentin Tarantino doing a voiceover? It's the worst part of the show. By it's strange. Far. There is it no point. No it sense. adds nothing to it. It's like we it want did. to rip you out of any sense that we, we've actually convinced you that this is the real world and rip you out of that. Yeah. Like, it, yeah, I mean, the, like, <laughs> I can I can understand why they chose to make the Uber PR. Women look like foxy Sears catalog models to like, you know, amp up the sexual tension, like whatever, that's TV. But Quentin Tarantino? Like, yeah. why? Yeah. Right. Uh, somebody, way, somebody was texting me, like, I'm sure Jill Hazel Baker, Baker and Rachel Whetstone hate being portrayed as like fixers you mean, in the you show. Mean, you mean Wet Baker? <laughs> By the way, that also was just. They make invented. Jill seem like Rachel's boss. Did you notice that? Like, I. I did. <laughs> <it's> <laughs> yeah, like, which what? actually, like, <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, I get Jill that Rachel has like one. such a great way of like speaking that they want her to be sort of like the like doing. I don't know. Uh, they should have just picked one or some. I don't know. It's weird. It's almost too easy to like pick on the like niggling verisimilitude aspects with it because it's rampant throughout. And I'd almost rather it be even more fictionalized right. than not to make it a better story. Well, we you work. Know, like there's a Sometimes great thing you need in the to WeWork go a little more fiction where yeah. they're in like they're in the Scadden office, you know, in this scene where they're trying to get rid of him. But they don't like say like I feel like if it was super pumped, they'd say Scadden, Scadden, Scadden. It's a law firm. It's like, you know, <laughs> there's a reference Whereas right, like right. it's just like in the background of the We Crash show, you know, they're in a real, you know, Silicon Valley law firm. But they don't like they're not like bragging that they like have a trivia question that they're sort of like inserting into the into the story. Yeah. My, my overall take just thematically on uh, the, the Uber show and Super Pumped is that it very much feels like a show that was written by a bunch of 40-year-old dudes, which I think works for for billions because that is sort of the milieu of, you know, Wall Street, you know, hedge fund dudes. And so you can kind of ramp up the campiness and the like. My general point is that like 
this is this is the most like Gen X pilled show I've seen in a long time. I mean, the soundtrack. Well, I mean, the soundtrack certainly. Yes. yes. Like the Pixies. Is this show sponsored by the Pixies? I don't know. Does Bill Gurley wear Pixies t-shirts everywhere? If that's a character point, <laughs> and then like, I didn't realize that um, when they're when they're doing the going on. when they do the um the road show or the home show rather that and was they a have, nice reference. I did like they, that when they have the you know, Beastie Boys rhyming and stealing playing during that. Uh, they have um, the Clash playing. They've got uh, Pearl Jam. Seen a photograph of the Beastie Boys lately, though. I mean, that's really something. Wow. Anyway, continue. Just it made that me feel old. crazy. I mean, just yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Katie, as the one Gen X person here, maybe you, you feel more <laughs> like attuned to the vibe of the show. But for me, it's just like, man, this kind of feels like this feels like forty year olds. Well, yeah, but so this is one of the things I noticed about the acting that makes possibly the other the protagonists of the Wheatwork show and the Theranos show better than the than the Travis character is that on the other shows the actors feel they have the freedom to actually act like full people. Right. Whether you like them or not, they bring things to the character that may or may Elizabeth Holmes may never have had the kind of like emotional collapse or freak out that Amanda Seyfried portrays in the show. And she might not have done that, but but on that show, the character Elizabeth Holmes is allowed to have like really full emotional arcs and like you get the sense of a complete human being. Whereas for some reason, the Travis character was it Joseph Gordon-Levitt? He is uh-huh. basically directed to act like the two-dimensional person of the right. newspaper stories, which right. is like bizarre. Yeah, there's no real attempt to, to broaden out his character at all. Um, they're also saddled with some pretty bad lines. Uh, the writing. Of I do the think show the is, script is the and the acting. The, the script. Three. He's working with a tough. Yeah. I think they just adhered too closely to the book, and I liked the book, so I get it. But it's like they just adhered. It's not a it's show. Like the, yeah, the they were so. Uma Thurman so, is actually very much. good. I really like the Ariana. Like I'd watch a I show about her. her yeah, me either. She's good. I mean, they really come up. I was so worried that they were gonna like girl boss her for the lack of a better term. <laughs> but like, she is definitely more Spengali. Like you know, totally flat. Oh, she's cut Travis. for the Adam Newman like, cloth for sure. Yeah, she's that's great character and and has a truthiness. Uh, I, they sort of put her also, in, like, in the Ariana weird part of the story, somebody, but Ariana is so known to the public already. So if you're the actor trying to get ready to play her, you don't have to rely on the book material really at all. Like if you're try if you're Joseph Gordon Levitt and you're like, I need to figure out how to play Travis. You've got the book, and you've got his like public appearances, which are pretty flat. And then you have these newspaper stories. But if you're preparing to play Ariana Huffington, you have so much great shit. Like you have all of her public appearances and the fact that she was a political um, pundit, her her role in politics, like her, the, the books, even the books she's written, like she's written some random books about like an opera star. I mean, she's just sort of a bigger personality and you right. kind of almost don't and need to Uma rely Thurman on the book. is just so good she's just very good I, yeah like, yeah I, and you're saying like it, it is sort character. of the argument for like the best actors do sort of insist on being able to act in a way that yeah but there's parts uh, of the uber thing i like like every montage scene of the uber series i basically loved <laughs> i feel like the theme song of the show is literally westworld has anyone else noticed that like yeah I, it's got no. it's, it's like uh it's like it's like the westworld. same like it's probably beats. the same company it feels like it's like total i like it can i uh can i, I, I want to talk about the driver oh yeah thing. but quickly before you do that because that's a real story i just, just want to mention a, a couple of quick notes that i made during it uh, in terms of bad lines that these these actors had to deliver uh, during the Uber uh, Vegas party, which I think is completely out of time wise. They made it sound like that was before they had done Uber X, but I think they, and I don't they, think they Jill, borrowed things from the Miami party for the Vegas party. I right. Believe. And I think uh, Rachel and Jill had not joined yet by the time of the Vegas party. Right. I think they weren't there for the Miami party. And I think a lot of the controversial things happened during the Miami party and they moved them to the Vegas story. Yeah. But, but if I they think were Jill there and Rachel for the Vegas party, you get the feeling in real life they would not have just been at the party babysitting people during right. cake stands. No. They, right. They, they, they would, would have, have been like, time. we have minions and you can talk to them. About right. I'm not Deal sure with them. It's bullshit. Like. Uh, but like the press is there and then there's a line that one of the journalist characters has to say, uh, there's dirt out there, but I brought a shovel. Uh, that makes yeah, no sense. That made me feel like the the creators of the show actually secretly hate reporters that they would make that line happen. Right. 
Yeah, which I mean, I, I'm I'm down with, but you know, I don't know if the show's going to go in that direction. Um, there, <laughs> th- there's a line, um, you know, you're going to be like Silent Bob, but she's as tra- chatty as Tracy Flick. Uh, I don't know what the fuck that's supposed to mean. That was like deep '90s referencing. That was right. like if you didn't know from. So the I'm telling soundtrack. you, this is the Gen X show. I, well, I, you get those references, right? Right. Yes, I do get the references. I'm just saying it's. I'm like if Tom certainly understands. If, if Tom doesn't get the reference, like I don't know how they could even put that on air. It's like, just a know, bad it's... line. Um, also, this idea that like Bill Gurley is anti-buying Lyft at first uh, made zero sense to me, uh, and then in the uh, when they're raising money from Google. Uh, at some point, Gurley is saddled with, or, or Kyle Chan is saddled with the line, doesn't don't be evil ring a bell? Uh, it's yeah, a pretty that was... lame thing for Bill Gurley to have to say. Uh, and the, my last thing is, the last two things. Um, I don't know what research they did on David Drummond. Uh, but they yeah, basically that just, was hilarious. <laughs> they basically like made him like Shaft. Yeah. <laughs> but like the actual David Drummond is like, it's kind of a, you know, Kind of a dorky guy who had like a he's weird, a lawyer. He's a lawyer. Yeah. He had like a very bizarre scandal at Uber in which he had a relationship with one of his, you know, reports uh, that. Wait a minute, Google. At Google, yeah, yeah. yeah that it's just, yeah. I don't know. I, I understand. They're trying I mean, to make I the show feel cool, like they but. let the actors who are playing secondary characters bring like a lot to the character. I guess like yeah. a lot of something, but then the people playing the main characters are not allowed to do too much yeah it's, it's, I, I don't i don't know i'm no director so what the fuck right do i know yeah at the very least make it a good show which i don't know if they managed uh within that and then, and then the last thing here is like the gabby character um they make it sound like she was like playing at farmer's markets and stuff and just sort of like busking it in order to make a living i mean gabby she was who playing is, in pretty random places she, she was playing she was a busker she not only was a busker, but she was also playing like it, you know, high end. She was basically booked as the violin player at like all the. She tech played parties. at the information's launch party. Yeah, which I she, believe is where she met Travis, isn't it? No, he wasn't there. Oh, he wasn't. You no, would, you would know. she okay. met Travis, I think, through Shervin. But we're going to cut that part. Okay. Why? <laughs> What's secret about that? Well, she met Shervin first. I'll just. I feel like Shervin is a name that has been excised because nobody wants to get sued. Like he's not even mentioned in the show. Like he's a composite character. It seems to me. Yeah. Um, anyway, Eric, get to get to your thing about how you figured into you the show but got cut no. off. No, no, no. It's a good story. Well, yeah. I mean, so basically, in the most recent, they're still releasing the episodes of Super Pumped. Um, they have they, they have sort of a dueling narrative. They have Susan Fowler, you know, preparing to write her blog post, and then they have uh, Fozy Kamel, uh, who's the driver who released his video uh, to the world, and uh, they basically, you know, you know this this was one of my big scoops, so I you know take it very uh, personally. But basically, they have um, Fauzi like go talk to a lawyer before he's releasing this video. And then he and his wife post it to YouTube in the show. And he's like, quit his job. And they're like, ready to launch the video. And I'm the real story, I think is a better story than this. So in the real world, first of all, Fozzie emails me like a pretty unhinged email. This is at 10.55 on February, well, I guess it was San Francisco, so it must have been 7.55, February 22nd, 2017, I get an email, subject line, about Uber. Uh, the name of the account is West Coast Limousine. He says, I started driving for Uber in 2011, so I know the company from the beginning, and I can introduce you to drivers who started in 2010 under Ryan Graves. We all know the dirty Uber thief. Last Sunday, I picked up Travis... And I told him that non, uh, none of the drivers trust him anymore because he cheated the drivers who promoted his idea at the beginning and made him who he is today. He got mad and slammed my car door. The point I'm trying to make is the answer of Uber CEO after I told him that I, bank, that I am bankrupt because of him didn't seem as an answer of a CEO. Sorry, I'm having to, there's a little bit of a grammatical uh, problems in the email that I'm trying to fix myself. Anyway, I have all this in video. Be my guest to see it. I just wanted to go viral because the CEO (laughs) is an asshole, arrogant piece of, piece of shit. Thank you, Fozzie Kamel, blah, blah, blah. And then I I just reply, 
Send me the video. Give me the video. <laughs> and and he says, I will make says, it go if viral. I promise you won't put it out there without my permission. And you can tell me what you'll do with it. Blah, blah, blah. And I say, okay, I agree. I won't post it without your permission. Curious to see. And then I'm like, you sending. And then he sends it to me. And, you know, like, it's like amazing. And so then the rest of the saga, it's like over like two, two or three days, maybe less. Um, I have like written the story. I've like circulated the video at Bloomberg. And so people are getting like super excited about this video. And I'm trying to convince Bozy to let me um, run the video. And he is still driving for Uber between leaking this video to, to like take down the company's CEO. So he's just like, he's just driving during the day and I'm trying he's to catch him when money. he's not driving. I know, but so they make it like he's like thrown in the towel on the show. But really this guy is still like, Doing the job of an Uber driver while right, I'm like because if Uber drivers made like, like a living wage, <laughs> he maybe could have quit and found a better job. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so then we po- we po- Bloomberg posts it. It goes you know super viral, and it, I do think it played a big role in um, you know people love video. I'm not taking Travis's side or anything like that. I'm just saying when they so clearly, as the show and the book, frankly, represents that. Bill Gurley was on the side of good, that he was like the person, the only person pushing for a positive outcome here. It negates the fact that he also helped create this monster, if you want to call it that, and profited handsomely from it. Uh, and is but not the, just like the a conscious that- The only real power they have is to either give the money. It's like, all you can do is oust the CEO. That, that's my position. It's like, you can tell, you can give them advice, but if they're not taking your advice, it's really you're for the CEO or you're against the CEO. And I that I think that is the Bill Gurley defense, which is gave good advice, didn't have real power. I mean, now the benchmarks willingness to just like give up found you know power over and over again. I think that would be sort of the the real benchmark critique, which is just like they've relinquished sort of voting control in exchange for making tons of money because that's what the lunatic founders who are going to make them tons of money want. Like that would be my main benchmark critique would be the fail. They they have a brand as a steward of these companies. But if they were really a steward of the company, they would retain enough power to behave that way. They don't. And that disjunction is the main benchmark. That's critique also in my WeWork mind. too. Another benchmark company. Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's all, it's all fun until they start realizing that, you know, this is affecting their, their returns. Uh, you know, like this is a financially crippling cultural problem. But, but some of the anti-benchmark people would say things like they care too much about their reputation. You know, it, there is sort of like they care too much about the norms that every the rest of the world cares right. about. Right. I think I think my favorite covering over um, moment was when uh, I believe you two and Mike, we were at my house playing Ticket to Ride mm-hmm. and we were completely hammered and writers might have broken an uber story and yeah one of the wires <laughs> and there was no matching of that story right from we, the new york times yeah we were in Bloomberg, no position the information i think maybe rolf was there in the wall street journal it's just like that was not happening <laughs> yeah there are certain stories that you're not up for uh, yeah. at certain times of night so let's finish up with the uh, the show that probably has the most prestige behind it, like the one that I think is probably going to get submitted the most for awards and I think has maybe the most appeal to people. Well, I don't know, maybe the WeWork show because it has big actors in it, big stars, but it's the one that Rosa was watching on her own without me telling her to. And she is now so obsessed with the Theranos story that she's listening to the podcast as well. Um, so it's, you know, I, I think it may end up the one that has the most cultural impact. Um and I would say probably features the best. Well, I don't know the best. It's it, there, there's a lot going in there, and I think it features the most layered character of any of the central ones here, which is which is Elizabeth Holmes and like how she ended up the way that she did. Um, I don't yeah, know. I what, feel what, like what the do you guys progression think? of her as a character, the thing that I think the thing that it does that the Travis character doesn't do as much is it it gives you a way to actually like her. You know what I mean? It sort of portrays her as this extremely frazzled person for a while that you can kind of relate to. It's the most sympathetic. Not just, not just the pressures, but like her own, you know, her, her, and maybe this is just because 
I think a lot of people relate to this, is that you're taught to do a lot of things if you're a smart person, but you're not necessarily taught how to present yourself. You're not taught how to handle a ton of pressure. You're not taught necessarily how to present yourself in a big meeting. And so watching that kind of constant transformation, you you have some empathy for her, which is I think what you need in order to get through an entire TV show with somebody. Whereas with Travis, with the exception of the way they portray his mother, which I think is, is done, you know, listen, I think that's fine. Um, I, I think that with Travis, with the exception of his mom, they don't give you much about him that makes you like him. And he's just portrayed as kind of a one note, fairly chest thumping, like ridiculous person. And so that makes it hard. It's going to make it hard to get through like a whole series. Right. It, It feels very repetitive. And I guess they also with, with, um, the dropout with Elizabeth Holmes, you need to have that kind of uh, sympathy with the character because ultimately she's the one that ends up doing the worst thing of all of them. I mean, she's the one in which the result of her company is the most unalloyed bad. There was no product there. Uh, I mean, I, I interviewed John Kerry Rue uh, when his book, when he was doing his book tour at the time. And I remember asking him, like, was there any science, any research that came out of Theranos that is of some use to the scientific community? And he was like, no, nothing. Like in the end, there was really, truly nothing there. And the fact that, you know, the, these tests were being used in actual Walgreens around the country and people were given inaccurate test results and all of that figured into, you know, the the, the government's case against her. There were real consequences here born out of the fact that she did the absolute worst thing. And so to tell the story and not just have her be like a psychopath on day one, they have to sort of show like the transformation of her character. So like storytelling wise, they had to do that. Katie, uh, Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what's your close reading of the, they have the sort of female professor sort of interacting with Elizabeth Holmes. Did you see that episode? Laurie Metcalf, um, great. Oh, yeah. oh, who, is, who is like basically just amazing in everything she does. Yeah. Did you, yeah. you, you the greatest see that one. I didn't see. I didn't oh, see that scene. Okay. I mean, they have they have Elizabeth Holmes like go to this Stanford professor who she's been referred to, and she has sort of you know blueprints for. Uh, I think it's when she was working on a a patch or a different different device, and the professor is just like, you know, this this won't work. You know, it's a very it's in a very anti Silicon Valley speech. You know, it's like science requires like a lot of work and time and expertise. Right. Well, it gets to the core of like what annoys me so much about certain types of founders here, which is like a belief that there can just be miracles, that there's can be one founder who's doing something that no one has ever thought of before that is like leap, leaps and bounds beyond where the rest of the industry. I don't think so. I think everything builds off of a foundation of pre existing work. And there is just sure. no world in which someone can come up with, uh, you know, some scientific device that is just completely different than anything anyone has ever tried. And th- no, this pisses me off specifically with like Elon, because I think there are people out there who think like he's a miracle worker who's doing something that's completely different than anyone else in the in the car world is doing. And it's like, no, it's all sort of like smart marketing on top. Of right. But that is so tech. powerful. I mean, that's sort of what's illustrated in the WeWork show, right? that his ability to just sort of charm people into thinking, you know, what commercial real estate is innovative is transformational and gets right. people to see his, it so differently. And right. then to have his this professor- His only issue was the, was the numbers, right, and, exactly. The and this professor good. to Elizabeth Holmes feeling like she needs to like put, put Elizabeth in her place and tell her to take her time. When, when it is like, no, we want to cultivate the spark and the drive to action, it just- the, the, the key lesson would be this doesn't work. You need to be truthful. But I do feel like what made that scene interesting was that the professor was all was both telling her a truth and was sort of like, and don't be so excited that you might change the world. And I, I do think that's well, sort of yeah, the problem with I, the, the academic type is that it's like you've been sort of beaten down and you don't have the naivete to say, let's let's try to build a company out of this. This idea. So, I mean, I mean, like just sort of falling back a little bit on the idea because I think it's super interesting. I don't have, um, I don't know which, like, there are so many sides to it. I'm not sure exactly where I come down, but I think that we're seeing sort of beyond that, like, the teens as we're getting into this next decade. This idea of it's great to be extremely enthusiastic and move super fast, and um, you know that that that's enough. 
I think it's starting to be questioned, not for the reasons necessarily in that speech, but just because we're starting to see that enthusiasm alone without consistent hard work and dedication to whatever it is you want to do does not work. I think that we're seeing that with, for example, you you could cynically argue argue that that's the issue with the Democratic Party right now. There was so much spark around Barack Obama, but once it was clear that that wasn't enough, where is everyone, including Barack Obama, <laughs> you know, right. like to try to He's like- He's Sure. sure <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> right. That's the problem. Um, to try to like shore up what we think of as a working democracy. You know, when you look at something like this long, horrifying, drawn out war that's happening in Europe that could go on for a really long time- well, if the public doesn't really have the stomach for it or the patience for it or the interest over a long period of time, what does that say about us and our ability to be, you know, leaders as a country on a world stage? So I think that there's sort of these bigger questions being asked about was was being spunky and excited enough? I think that Uber we're worked to hard. See that it's, Uber worked hard, exactly, but exactly. the, the business model was to. challenged. And we work right. and continues to. Adam so, I mean, didn't so, necessarily work. He was, you know, very passionate. I'm, I'm just saying on that speech that you described, which I think is really interesting, the the question of whether or not that assumption that um enthusiasm and creativity and upending the apple cart and doing it all new is enough that there has to be somewhat more of a balance maybe between that and these stodgier ideas about um diligence it's it's like the dichotomy between branding and results like sizzle and steak or or like something that's revolutionary and like evolutionary it's like if absent any sort of revolution it's just really about what well, can i brand it in a way that that makes it sound like it's that and you know, like Steve Jobs, who obviously was like, to bring it back to Elizabeth Holmes, literally, she's like staring at a picture, a poster of him on her wall saying, I want to do that. And, you know, that leads to her transformation. I thought she was going to make out with the poster. Like, I really, I, I don't know if we were supposed, it, she got like so close. I was like, are they going to have her kiss the poster of Steve Jobs? She just becomes if the, if the show Steve were, Jobs even better. Yeah, exactly. She just makes out with herself the rest of the I know. The well, the they series, have great but, mirror scenes. I mean, it's... It, she is yeah, really no, good. Her looking I mean, in the mirror. I do think yeah. it's it's a very good job acting. Um, yeah, what Rosa called the the golem scene. It does feel a little she, too like, intimate. Tried, yeah, when she tries out the voice. A- for anyway, the first sorry, time. I derailed your you were making. Points. But Steve Jobs, you know, is the it's certainly as close to a revolutionary as a CEO as anyone was in the Valley. But ultimately, he was just building. You know, very good at branding something that other people were working on as well. You know, there was the transformation of the personal computer and then the handheld device. All these things existed, but his was like, let me make it more attractive. Let me brand it in a way that's unique. And that's what's going to be that makes, you know, that's going to be the the traction that gets the public excited about it. I, and, I couldn't agree with what you're saying, but I feel like it is an argument for the end of time. I, I mean, just it's like user interface, like it making just because a sort of smartphone existed, the functionality of it is is like the whole game. Right. I mean, it's sort of like saying like Lamborghini's bad because like it's only the aesthetics that are good. It's like that's no, what people but, are buying. Oh no, but I think it's slightly different from the like from the. But this is what's so dangerous, I think, about Silicon Valley is that it's the it has the the skin or it has the like appearance of it being all scientific revolutionaries. When I think truly at its core, a lot of it is just about branding. Well, also it's not about just branding, but like. So yes, Jobs was great at branding, but the other thing he was really great at doing is convincing people who work for him to work 120 hours a week right. to ensure that the right. inside of the phone worked great and the outside looked great. And so yes, it was branding combined with actual real hard effort over a tremendously right. long amount of time. And that's the part that I think the Valley gloss is over. They're like, you're going to you're going to have the great idea. I will give you the money to make it happen, but they're like, oh, and by the way, you're going to work like uh, all your entire life around the clock to make it to make it go. And I, I agree with Katie. It, and the media yeah. to it, criticize it, ourselves is anti hard work in a certain way. Right now, I would say most reporters are most nobody is beating the drum, being like, I feel like it is not cool right now to write a story, being like, it's a lazy company over there. Are they really going to, you know, like <laughs> it is, it is much more like, are they overworking people, you know? But but at the end of the day, I I agree that. Companies like Apple are successful when when they're working. I mean, super hard. Right. I mean, in the beginning, obviously, which Google I, or whatever you I, can still, you know, once you have a monopoly, yeah, and there's make an tons of money, of right, right, too, that we don't need to get into with jobs. Right. 
Right. Which is why I think, you know, Adam Newman and Elizabeth Holmes, I'm sure they were a bit perplexed by the fact that they ended up being villains of this whole story, because I think their whole strategy from the beginning was like, well, we're just doing what we're supposed to be doing. This is about getting people to believe in us messianically as leaders who have a revolutionary idea, making them work really hard and also branding something in a way that the public is excited about. And, you know, we work as a, you know, it's really nothing. It's really just real estate. I mean, like the yeah. least innovative field imaginable. But very profitable when done right. <laughs> right. Or, or apparently not profitable when done <laughs> in the way that we worked in it. But, but like with, with Theranos, what makes it so incredibly dangerous was the fact that it was dealing with something that it, like branding is not, it can't be at the core of it. It needs to be truly driven by scientific revolution or, or progress. And you know, if it had been in, in a slightly different context, if she had, you know, let's say has this meeting with the Laurie Metcalf professor and then it's like, well, I'm still going to try it. I'm still going to try to build this thing. And then she gets seed funding and then it doesn't work out like the science isn't there and the company dies. That's kind of how science goes. That's how research well, goes. Well, Theranos has the key piece of every good fraud story where she makes sort of the small lie, right? She's like, you're the mm -hmm. type of person willing to lie. She does the small lie. It's like, okay, we know the machine works, but we can't get it to work for the she test. She drinks the green juice. So we're going to do, well, that that's a different, but she does the machine <laughs> test, you know, she fakes that and then she fakes a little bit more and then they're in, she's in too deep and then, okay, we know the whole company is a fraud, but you know, that's, that's what's going to fund the research and development and all these, you know, you can sort of see how, the willingness to be to make the small lie sort of sets you on this like rock rolling down a hill. It's uh, Bernie Madoff in a way that isn't true. Right. I don't think with Travis and Adam, like the the financial games were were in the in the you know it, it it was obvious to any investor just like the amount of money they were losing. To, I mean, to the extent that they were sort of hucksters on that sense, it was like, well, read the financials. I mean, reporters were openly mocking both companies as they were raising tons of money. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, talking to non-tech people about these shows. I was talking to my younger brother uh, and he really loves the WeWork show and uh, you know, the Theranos show. Sure. That's a clear story. Everyone knows, but he was like, well, what, what exactly did Uber do wrong? It was like his question to me. And it's like, well, you know, they were kind of running the company very controversially and there were a lot of scandals and the culture was awful, but yeah, they were that's jerk kind faces, of it. Right. <laughs> yeah. They were big jerks. Here, here's, here's <laughs> yeah, a question. Were, I, I don't know. And I would even, I mean, like, I don't, I'm not going to question whether they were jerks. I do not want to be canceled. <laughs> they, they, they were, I, yeah, I do think the fact that they were jerks, honestly, was the problem. The fact that Travis could never really show contrition for anything just made it so that the the public hate of him just grew hotter and hotter because he was never truly contrite. But I guess a question about Uber to me is like, you know, the Susan Fowler thing, the cultural questions. Mike had a great piece on the culture. We definitely damned Uber in a certain sense. But I that but then in a post-Trump era where people were very worried about people like, you know, that was like post grab them by the pussy or whatever. You know, we were very worried about that. And then after Uber, we saw all these companies, you know, get scrutiny over, over the treatment of women. And I do think there's a question whether Uber was sort of the first of what became sort of apparent at most many companies where women were poorly treated, or I think people still associate Uber with being disproportionately bad. And I do think it's hard mm, to know. Was the first. Right. Was it just yeah, the case study because he created all this heat on his company or was so it actually think, worse than other companies? I think part of it too is that it was um, Silicon Valley and that portion of the tech industry. Because like I was so numb to that kind of behavior when I got to San Francisco, I'd been covering Wall Street. And so the idea of writing an expose of a large bank or a hedge fund saying, <laughs> oh my God, these guys are a-holes. Would, who would have cared? I mean, I guess I could have written right. that story about literally any Wall Street firm, but it wouldn't have mattered. It only, I'm not going to say only, I think it primarily mattered in Silicon Valley because the public image, um, thanks in large part to Google, was that these guys are the good guys. They figured out a way to do business without being terrible. Right. And they figured out a way to do business and still treat people fantastically. And so when you saw the most successful of the cohort of that era actually turn out to be jerks, just like the guys working at like, oh, gee, you know, like 
Goldman Sachs or going back in time, Solomon Brothers or going back in time. Like it doesn't matter. Like right. it, it felt different because of the supposed culture. I cannot think of another industry. Right. Like if somebody wrote a story about how like, wow, people at Pepsi are mean to one another. Do you think that would like blow the lid off like the consumer products industry? Yeah, probably not in an older industry. But and I think that was the real appeal uh, of people from Wall Street to come to Silicon Valley totally. is that you can come be incredibly wealthy, but also do it for these companies that exist solely for good. Right. Because post, you know, the 2008 crash, people were so rightfully cynical about, the, you know, the, the missions of all of these companies yeah. that Silicon Valley was like this very appealing clarion call to the Wall Street types to come here. I also think that Trump was elected. And Democrats couldn't get rid of Trump. There were no consequences. And Silicon Valley companies are made up of mostly Democrats. And then when they had these sort of Trumpy style leaders like Travis, they were able to actually show, no, we can do something about this moral problem in our society we don't like. You know, the biggest public outcry against Uber is delete Uber, which right. was based on stupid under a stupid understanding of what actually happened, was totally misguided. I mean, it, I'm not saying the people's anti-Uber feelings were misguided. You know, those were based on many stories. But the specific, like, Uber got rid of surge pricing, which was supposed to help them avoid controversy, but then somehow that got positioned as if, anyway, where the, it doesn't matter, relitigating Yeah, but I think Uber, your point, but, basically, if there were people who were upset about a massive event that they had no control over, which was the election, they were grasping for ways to take control of something they saw as analogous is probably pretty astute, no matter how no matter how they did it, whether the way they did it was good or bad, um, whether it was ham-fisted or whether it was really deft. I think your point is interesting and probably correct that they yeah. were like, we are just trying to respond to this bigger idea that something's not right. Right. And, and maybe just to close off, you know, here with, with the Theranos show, I think what continues to make that story so interesting is that I, I think it was, and this gets maybe into the controversy or debate about whether or not you know, Theranos was a tech company, a Silicon Valley product, is that it existed so much through the Silicon Valley playbook, but only seemed to have adopted the worst aspects of, of what tech can stand for, which is just sizzle it's just branding. It's just raising more money. And it's just trying to get people excited about something that they have no real reason to get excited for. And I think the best of tech has those elements, but also has a real product behind it. Uh, and, you know, Theranos is sort of everything about tech distilled to its most cynical ends and in a way that legitimately harmed people. Uh, and it's, uh, I, I never know the larger lesson. Well, to be the, the funny thing is. in what you're saying is that uh, I feel like in the show, Holmes goes to venture capitalists and tries to pitch them to join her business. And they don't. Like, to some degree, it is like a validating moment in the show for Silicon Valley. But the show can't be, I, they just can't stand giving like finance types a win. So they make the VCs like sexist about her. And they almost make it seem dumb that they're not giving her their money, even though it's a fraudulent business. It felt like. Well, that's oh, how they felt at the time. Like. <laughs> That's how she felt. Yeah. On the cover of on the cover of Fortune, a lot of those VCs did feel dumb for for not for not investing totally. in her. Yeah, yeah. I think people should watch all three shows just because they're they're interesting in their own right, and that they each have like such a different view of. Tech. And if you listen to this podcast, you care. Like, I feel like, uh, yeah, I don't know. If you're not watching them, who is? You the know, problem with all write? the shows is they're not all on the same streaming service. <laughs> oh my god, right. I have so many now. Tom's using some of mine. I am right? using I your know. Hulu. I am, and I don't want to say the rest for personal reasons. But, uh, <laughs> uh, let's just say, of the three streaming services that I watch these shows on, I am paying for zero. <laughs> of them. All right. All right. That's uh, anyway. Good, uh, yeah. All right. Now, this was fun, guys. Now. Goodbye. Goodbye, 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 goodbye.